still the darkness will continue to remain in that because the dark the darkness is not opposed to uh, uh, the work what you're doing likewise it says that you know the ignorance which is a darkness in our mind how much ever work we do in our life okay good work bad work ugly work it does not matter what we do of course bad and ugly work if we do it matters because you'll again go back into the darkness but even if much of a good work also you do it in, in our life it will because the ignorance is not opposed to that action to that karma then we will continue to be in the samsara chakra and the only way that we can get out of that particular thing is just as you put in a lamp inside inside the uh, uh inside the dark room and the darkness vanishes we have to light the lamp of uh nana and incidentally that's the reason why the lamp is lit in, in lit in many of our uh, pujas and everything because that shows that aspect that the deepa the dia aspect of it is nana and you know they also say you know we have a famous shloka also right deepa jyoti param brahma so deepa is identified as param brahma so that is very uh, interesting and uh, so uh, then uh, someone pointed out that shloka 1 was a summary of sadhana chatushtaya which is very good because sadhana chatushtaya is vivekam vairagyam then shamadamadi and mumukshu mumukshutva these are the four qualities that one needs to have to even understand what exactly this atma means and i think this this shloka one talks exactly the same and if you if you go back and review the even the english text of 1 2 3 4 what is written you will you will see the connection with sadhana chatushtaya uh we discussed a little bit about what exactly is tapas because tapas came about in the particular thing and uh, we said that anything that we do uh, uh anything that we deny ourselves voluntarily okay because the of a higher knowledge or a driver of or a higher knowledge of driver or a higher desire that we have either through some extra effort we uh, we deny ourselves or through restrictions that is tapas and uh, uh, it's an attitude it's nothing else other than attitude the multiple things constitute tapas and uh, we discussed some of those uh, some of those things like you know japa pranayama value reflection meditation and all those uh, all those kind of things uh, there were four different words uh, four different meanings for the word atma was uh, discussed and i'm going to summarize quickly as pervader resolver experiencer and eternal as the four uh, qualities of atma so in in the, in the opposite way you know if you, if you look at anything and if we if we see that it is not meeting any of these four criteria then you know that you have eliminated that as not atma so then the other interesting twist was the word bodha bodha is actually the objective knowledge of the subject so far you know when people say you know there is atma there is consciousness and all that stuff you know i think we may dismiss people may dismiss it or people may kind of quote and quote understand it in their own way but that is not the way that to be understood it has to be understood objectively and for us to understand it objectively we have to go through some aid some kind of an instrument and that is the scriptures that help us to tell us what exactly is this atma right and the way that the scriptures define atma is i think it comes in the next shlokas is it tells what is what it is not and what it is not is a humongous set of things it's actually infinite and then when it says if we eliminate this infinite thing of things there's still something else that still remains and that is atma uh and how do you how do you get to 
understand Atma is that I think this is this probably requires a little more time for us to understand it as we go through this shloka, but I'll, I'll just state what we discussed. Um, without a thought in the mind, we cannot understand anything. So when, when we see an object, a thought goes on into our mind. And when we want to understand Brahma, Brahman, at that time also thought will have to go in our mind. Without thought, Brahman can't be understood. So what is the type of thought? That is what we will have to get to it. That is called Brahmakara Vritti. And basically, it's, when you say Aham Brahmasmi, you know, when, when the thought keeps on going in the mind and when the thought says, okay, this is the thought that says that I am Brahman. And when we finally understand it, it's like, you know, initially you are shining a little bit of light on that particular thought, Aham Brahmasmi, using a torchlight, using your own light. But after some time, the light, the light itself becomes so big that the torchlight is not required. It's so big and it, it, it's self-luminous. And that's how you realize uh, Brahman. Uh, we also talked about uh, the, the connection between ignorance and desires and action. Avidya gives rise to Kama. Kama gives rise to Karma. They're all very connected. And beautifully, I think, uh, uh, Ajay, you mentioned this. The, uh, in, what is the other way of getting moksha to, uh, to become Brahman? The only other way of getting moksha is to roll the Akasha like a carpet. And Akasha is the space. It's not the sky. Sky is different from space. Maybe even the sky is limited. Okay, if you take if you take a fastest you know uh, spacecraft traveling at multiple light years, maybe you can reach the sky and uh, you know sky can you can find it limited, but the space in which the sky is there that's unlimited. So it's technically impossible to uh, to know Atmakyana. So we have to cook. We have to finally cook that uh, food till till that that's the thing, and that comes from Sveta Swara Upanishad. I guess that's what you mentioned. Right? Uh, then, uh, then we talked about the, the four stages of uh, 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 attaining uh, the uh, you know perfection, mukti, moksha, nirvana, and kaivalya. And I'm not going to uh, deal that into the integrate into that. Uh, then the other thing that uh, uh, I I really liked was uh, how we summarized uh, the Adi Shankara's five uh, cardinal principles, and I'm going to repeat that. Um, you know, please don't think that you know I'm saying everything out of memory. I've got my notes out here. Okay, the first one is uh, uh, permanent happiness will with lasting peace can happen only through moksha, and moksha can only be through spiritual knowledge. Spiritual knowledge can only come through systematic learning. Systematic learning is only possible with a pure mind. To get a pure mind, one can have several paths. It can be charity, Ishwara Dhyanam, Pranayama, Karma Yoga, Bhakti, etc. So there was a question, okay, what, what exactly are we doing in spiritual path? So most of the work that we're doing is in the step five to purify our mind. And most of the humanity is either at step five or below step five, trying to get to step five. But it doesn't mean that you know, they are not there. Everybody is trying to get to step five or do step five, or some of them are little about, about that particular thing. Uh, then there was a question and I think somebody answered, uh, okay, what are the uh, three things that Gita says that irrespective of what state you are in, in these one, two, three, four, five steps, what are the things that you should be doing? I think is yajna, dana, and tapa, which is 
doing things for others and using the word liberally, the sacrifices, which is doing things for others, dana, giving, giving, and tapaha, austerities. These are the three things that, that needs to be continued in respect to which step you are in. Uh, another, another twist that we discussed is uh, uh, keep on saying, what is the summary of Gita in one single word? Keep repeating, just as uh, <clears throat> Valmiki was told to repeat uh, Mara, 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 and finally reach to Rama. So you keep saying uh, Gita, Gita, Gita fa fast, and it'll come to Tyagi, 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 which is renouncer of desires, renouncer of actions. So you got to let go. And who is a Tyagi? That's that we discussed that. Uh, then uh, then uh, there was this uh, beautiful example about, uh, you know, uh, Bhakti and uh, Nana. And Muku mentioned, you know, Ganga is knowledge as a river. Yamuna is Bhakti, which is another river. And they will merge into Saraswati. Saraswati is underground. There is there's a, there's a particular point of time when these, these two rivers will merge with the third river, which is underground. And that's... Uh, uh, I think it's 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 it, they, they, they also use this uh, like Kumbh Mela. I think there's some other uh, event that happens. I guess I don't remember exactly. So there's no difference between Bhakti and uh, Nana. So that's uh, that's something that we need to understand and uh, uh, you know um, not necessarily separate out. You know, Nana is not pedantic knowledge. Bhakti is not emotional knowledge, uh, emotional uh, behavior. That's not what it is. These are manifestations of knowledge. As the knowledge becomes more and more mature, it becomes like bhakti. And as the bhakti becomes more and more mature, it becomes like nana. So they're in, inseparable. That's that's what we discussed. And I probably don't have more notes than this, And but I definitely stopped writing after a while. So if any one of you wants to share anything that I missed, please feel free and then we can continue with Ajit. Pretty comprehensive summary, uh, Rajesh. There was, uh, uh, Rajesh, there was this example of tapas, right? Uh, uh, where you start with fasting on a new moon day, increase the intake every day till you reach your normal intake on the full moon day, and then again start reducing till you reach a fasting day. So I thought that was pretty interesting uh, form of tapas. Yeah, that's... Uh... Uh, that's that's called a Chandrayana, and I think it's mentioned as Chandrayana, right, in that thing. And uh, yeah, yeah. I, I listened to one lecture by, I think, Swami Guru Parananda Paramatmananda. He says that, you know, uh, if you do, quote-unquote, a serious crime, right, like, okay, the punishment that has been given for in the olden days, uh, but when I say punishment, you know, the spiritual punishment given either by the Guru or by the person himself to, to make repentance is this Chandrayana Prata. Apparently, if you do this, your body will become as if like uh, just bones covered with uh, uh, a skin, right? It's so hard, I believe, to do it. So please don't attempt it. It's interesting, but don't attempt it. <laughs> You're keeping track would be tough, yeah. All right. Any other uh, any other points, or we can the usual format. Anyone can uh, uh, share your insights, and that will trigger off the discussions. 
I just wanted to, uh, you know, just uh, I was reflecting on this uh, shloka four about swayam prakasha, right? And uh, there was a nice explanation I read, which is that if you want to know something, you need three things. You need to know the knower. There is a knower, there is a known, and there's a process of knowing. There's sort of three aspects to, to, to any sort of knowing, if you will, right? And as far as consciousness is concerned, it knows itself by itself. And that's why it is singular or kevalyam. And uh, that, in a, in a way, if you think about the Surya or Surya is Swayam Prakasha, which means that it kind of lights by itself. It doesn't need any external aid. It just, everything is contained in one thing, the knower, the known, and the process. So that was a good sort of way to understand consciousness that there is, you know, a lot of people would say that, you know, consciousness is a third thing or a second thing. Consciousness knows itself by itself. So it is, it is singular or equivalent. And the, and the analogy with the, with the, uh, with this shining sun is, is, is quite, quite apt. That's very nice. Sometimes these, these analogies need to be used uh, only to um, get the correct context and you cannot stretch that analogy. You have to, we have to remember that. Uh, because in the example that you used, right, like sun, that's, uh, that's right. But the point is, who knows that the sun is shining? When you ask that question, then sun becomes limited automatically. Of course, all these examples have limitations. That's why they're examples. <laughs> So, um, you know, maybe uh, as a trigger for today's discussion, right, in the last, uh, uh, last verse four, there's this three types of uh, uh, ishanas that it talks about, if you, if, you, if you remember that, you know, Kirti, Kanchana and Kamini. I think we discussed this in the past as well. Okay, Kirti is uh, uh, the desire for uh, fame and uh, Kanchana is desire for wealth. And uh, Kamini is desire for, uh, uh, you know, relationships. In this case, it's written as desire for children, but you'd interpret it as desire for relationships. So these are the three things that, uh, that kind of, you know, bind people in, into this samsara loop. So that's what I think the next shlokas in the next chapter describes much more in vivid detail. So um, anyone wants to talk about the examples Shamala looks like that's your department. <laughs> I'm sorry. Examples wise, this time what stood out was the katakana, that how <laughs> the water settles down, I mean, the mud settles down. That, that was a great example. I mean, every single example makes you really reflect. You can just relate it to it. And he also says how uh, once that uses to kind of segregate the mud, it just dissolves there. Uh, you don't, which is also what they explained the last time, right? You know, once you cross the, take the support till you go to the last mile and last mile, you just drop it and everything gets dropped. 
kind of stuff. So the, that was another great thing. The other point that I wanted to make is how he, they continue to emphasize the importance of knowledge over action. Action is important, but without knowledge, it cannot really improve. And I started to kind of draw a parallel between this and what we typically even otherwise do at work. The process improvements can only take you to that, you know, that, that kind of level, unless and until they're all delta changes. If you want to step change, you need to do something drastically different. And I think here is where they clearly say, yes, action, I think one of the words that was used is, uh, action is the you know uh, queen of everything in the world, but knowledge is the king. It continues to be the king or whatever. Unless and until you get the actual context, the action can be a repetitive loop and it can only give you so much improvement. So I think that was interesting for me. You know, yeah, we continue to emphasize on action, but it is absolutely important to get this knowledge for us to get the best out of the action. Yeah. I like that uh, comparison when uh, I don't know, I don't uh, recall which verse exactly, but when he talks about, um, you know, the waking state, the dream state, the waking state and uh, the ultimate uh, realization, he talks as uh, we realize that the dream is false when we wake up, right? So is the waking state false when we become come to the realization state? I thought that was a very beautiful uh, correlation, which was kind of intertwined uh, amongst the three. Yeah. It uses the uses the example of that uh, seashell, which shines like shines like silver, right? In that, yeah. So that was an interesting example because all the while they keep hearing that example of a snake and a rope, which creates fear, and so there is a different kind of an emotion that was explained using an example, which again is okay. Yeah, this is true, but we've never thought about it in that manner, kind of stuff. That raga that uh, uh, seashell can create which may look like silver. I think uh, that was another one that stood out. I was vividly picturing myself, you know, standing on the beach, seeing something shining and running towards it because it looks like some shiny object. Yeah. It's interesting that... Uh, uh, oh, sorry, Ajay, go ahead. Go ahead, go ahead. No, I'm, I was just saying that it's interesting uh, to see the that you know, with the, the Upanishads, uh, the Gita, and, and this book, they are all from different ages, right? So the examples, even the language, the Sanskrit, um, seems to be very different in the sense it's much more simplified, much more common, uh, or more friendlier uh, in the Atma Bodha, right? Which is because it's probably the latest out of the three that we have seen so far. So the examples are also um, more relatable uh, becoming more and more relatable as we come closer uh, to our, our times. So, Yeah, you're right. I mean, the, the, the example of the snake and the rope is one of, uh, of uh, Duesha, or, whereas this example is one of, uh, of the Raja. The, the examples, yeah, we, the snake and rope, then the other one is ocean and the waves and so on, right? But that, yeah. that is from the Upanishads and, uh, and, and in the Gita. But um, uh, those are 
very much elements of nature but now you start to see a uh, little more objects that you you kind of see right so it's interesting from that perspective you know I, as an aside i must tell you this at some point right i had uh, in my notebook i started writing all the examples now i think no need to write that you know all the examples are here i recall rajesh that very early on you had circulated a link to about 20 examples uh, i think all of them must be from here but here i'm assuming there are 60 plus examples so there's a much yeah. bigger database of examples but i remember those 20 i couldn't get half of them at the time uh, so I, i need to go back to them and see whether i understand some of them more but on but on shloka 5 i mean i found that uh, very very relatable i mean the whole i whole thing about the it's really that alum example right where you put alum in water and it takes the dust away uh, but essentially i mean you know if you think a little bit deeper it's like you know to remove ignorance you need uh, you know some aid which is you know knowledge or whatever you want to call it right and once you get the knowledge you don't need i, I mean you you don't have the ignorance and you don't even need the the thought about brahman for example in your mind because the consciousness just takes over and you know you don't need it and a good example uh, somebody said was that when you're a kid you are told in the process of shravanam that 2 plus 2 is equal to 4 right in the second step which is mananam you kind of get your head around okay 2 plus 2 is 4 you kind of use some aids you kind of use counters whatever right and then you get to a stage where yeah to a 2 2 plus 2 is 4 you don't even need a thought it is four we know it right and that is in some ways kind of a good way to think about you know you are you know another example would be if if a, if a teacher says tatva masi so that's that's shravanam right and then as a student in the next stage i say aham brahma asmi okay so i get it right but the third stage is that just brahman you are brahman which is nididhyasana or that's the kind of state where you go to the next level right so in some ways uh, you know it, it kind of it's a nice way to think about the third stage obviously is, is very difficult i mean most of us i'm assuming are in sort of first second stage or all of us probably are in that stage but i'm assuming that the third stage is where you kind of go from tatvamasi to aham brahmasmi to brahman right and so all the other things are are irrelevant and this example of uh, of the alum or you know using a thorn to remove another thorn for example right you know you use knowledge or some thought in your mind to understand and remove the ignorance but once you once you remove the ignorance the second thorn also becomes used to remove it away it's almost the same thing as in the example of the of the alum which is that you it removes the ignorance which is the dust or the mud particles but also the alum goes away when you decant it right so what remains at the end is pure sort of unadulterated rum right and so this example is is actually quite quite deep uh, when you think about it i like the example of the bubbles but budani i thought it was a beautiful word just like bubble 
and Swami Aparajitanandji, he mentions that example of, uh, you know, in the dream, you are woken up by a tiger. So that was quite interesting that when you wake up, the tiger is also not there. So the thought that <laughs> wake you up, you know, that also goes away. Yeah, exactly. I mean, you know, the tiger helps you, uh, you know, wake up, right? And when you wake up, you're awake, you're no, no longer dreaming, and the tiger is gone as well, right? So what right. remains the waking state, which is you. So it's, it's actually very powerful that, you know, the two things that you know, one kind of takes out the other, which are like almost opposite of each other. And, and what remains is just purity, you know, just consciousness. Yeah. And also very, very that, yeah. that within the sleep, within the dream, there is something that can wake you up. I think that was quite, yeah. normally we think that, you know, within the dream, who can wake us up? But actually, yes, there are instances when suddenly we are woken up by something in the dream. So then it is possible to wake up from this, this dream, <laughs> the waking dream. Yeah. But, uh, you know, uh, contradictorily, uh, you know, the, there are, there are, you know, and now I'm, I'm giving a contradictory thought just to trigger some, trigger some discussion here, right? You know, dream is dream, and when we wake up, dream goes away. But people are bothered and tormented by the dream what they have. Why? Or for leveraging to create a convergence. Sorry, could you repeat it, uh, Rajesh? I said, dream is a dream, and whatever happens in the dream, once you wake up, it just vanishes. But once you wake up, people are tormented by what went on in their dreams. It could be a nightmare and they could be bothering about that or it could be something that, uh, you know, that they, uh, that they think is a premonition of what is to come in the future and all that. And they get bothered about it and they say, oh, this, this thing happened in my dream. I need to do something and all that stuff. You, you can hear a lot of people say that. Why do you think it happens? So they say, Rajesh, I mean, my understanding is that dreams are all a manifestation of the real world, as in there are sort of in your real world, you experience things or you imagine things or you uh, aspire for things which you may or may not get. And some of them sort of manifest in dreams in their own way. And so there is a linkage in that sense between a dream and sort of the waking world, I think. Uh, and that. You know, that, that kind of carries forward uh, in terms of either fear or insecurity or whatever you want to call it. But the dreams are all, I, my, my understanding is dreams are all kind of linked, related to the waking world. Yeah, in Tattva Bodha, I think they mentioned that everything that appears in your dream is something that you have, you have either experienced or seen in the, you know, in the waking state. Nothing is like, you know, purely imagination in a dream world. It, it has always got some link to something that you have seen or heard or something like that. You're right. And also, like, some of us are really horrified by the horror movies. We know it's just a movie, but it bothers us, right? Yes, yeah. We are good at what? looking at things which are not real to... to Take them to be real. Right? <laughs> there is like one nice connection between the two uh, steps that was like aha moment for me over the last many months. So one is like 
it used to be the thought from dream to the waking state we kind of instantly realize that oh dream is just a dream it's not real uh, but from the waking state to the brahman state there is still like this big uh, jump we have to do because we kind of say that in the dream it was only my reality but in the brahman state like in the, the real world state it's a shared reality by all so every time i wake up the world the house where i stay in what my name is what i call others by all all remains the same so it kind of seems like a very difficult jump to jump past jump past that because like uh, with the dream it could be a change thing but when you are in the real world we are all just the same and whether i refuse to believe it or not i sleep for another few more hours wake up then this reality seems to exist and i think the one one nice explanation i have seen about that is it is also because that we believe that we are all different that is why we kind of superimpose that there is different number of beings and that we are all uh, sharing this reality which i thought was like a very nice jump to think about it and on that note i was reading um, a quote by paul dusen who's a german philosopher he's actually one of the pe- persons who did like lot of this translations and got upanishads and gita all to the european world and he makes this uh, very nice analogy uh, one of the uh, precepts commandments of uh, the christian theology is love your neighbor as thyself and it's a very very powerful commandment that is told but not explained why and swami ranganathananda says the answer is uh, in in the upanishads it is because you are your neighbor too mm. yeah it's a good one the point is uh, in the dream also if you sleep and see a dream and you come back then the dream looks more contiguous right <laughs> so it's all relative Yep. Now you are talking inception. <laughs> inception <laughs> is. <laughs> I mean, dream and dream is there. I have, yep, yep. I remember dreams where I had slept and dreamt and, and gotten up. And just one more thing was, I think it was interesting to see that we think default state is waking state, but default state is actually deep sleep state. Mm. If you start looking at it, it looks very different then. so in fact uh, i have been sort of you know the latter part of chapter 2 when we talked about what is astita pragnaya and how does he experience things etc etc and you know this example of the dream and i think about it i mean obviously this is something you know some a bit of imagination but uh, you know when you wake up from a bad dream particularly you know your first reaction is thank god it was a dream right it's relief right and i'm thinking uh, imagining rather that if once you become realized you know the realized soul must think thank god this waking world was just a dream this is so, this is so painful or whatever right i mean i don't know what it might be but i'm trying to draw some sort of analogy to sort of try and understand what it might be because we know what a, what a, what a dream can be and how we feel as soon as we get it as soon as we wake up but i think that will be an alternate example also right what if you won a lottery in the dream and you wake up oh i yeah. wish 
was true, right? I think both kinds of uh, reactions. Well, yeah, you're right. You're right. But I'm assuming that the waking world that we are in is not a particularly pleasant world, and therefore, when you get out of that waking world and get into sort of this liberated mode, you might say, "I'm so happy. I'm out of that. Was just a, just another dream, and now I'm like pure pure consciousness." So, I, yeah, this is just a one my way of thinking about how how one might feel at that stage. I have no idea what that is, of course. So uh, Ajay, your uh, thing makes me think like so. For you to realize, like when you wake up that it's a dream, what level of uh, awareness or maturity do you need to have? For example, the babies, like they, I'm sure, I'm sure they do dream too. But do they get when they get up when they are four months old? Do they know what they are seeing is their dream or what is their reality? So at what where at what point do people realize the dream is something different from reality? Yeah, I guess it depends on sort of the maturity of the wake. waking mind uh, obviously the child is not mind is not mature to to grasp a lot of these emotions etc etc et et so they may not sort of care but once you get to a point where it matters you obviously uh, you, you have a point of view then. so maturity or immaturity or immaturity sorry thank you <laughs> <laughs> i'll love the way you corrected alpana <laughs> no no <laughs> but i want to go back to what rajesh asked right we are be talking about what is the impact after you wake up but why is the impact what causes the impact i mean why why do we still feel that impact after we wake up what what are the connecting factors we are so much associated even the dream person right that we think it is happening to us But also i think in dream you don't other senses don't act on you you don't feel the tactile sense Uh, you don't feel the cold and all those things when you get up you other senses also act on you you can uh, we hear things or, or touch things and so on then makes it things like okay i am in a quote and quote real real world right now um, and maybe that's what differentiates between so to shamla to your question i'm thinking yeah so i guess i'm thinking what is the common factor for these two states that there is some continuity of emotion right whether it is a happiness from a winning a lottery to a tiger chasing us which is a fear something is getting transmitted from one world to the other world what what is the common factor identity ahankara yeah identity yeah, because we're still the same person the same body mind the same world around you whether you're in the waking world or in the in the dream world so it's the yeah. same set of uh, it's almost it's, it's in a way sort of both are the same mythia right so that's why it kind of continues on both sides it's, it's also vasanas right tejas and the wish yeah it's the yeah, same identity which is yeah sorry no is it also vasanas for example if you always have a fear of something in back of your mind and you're generally very uh, jittery or you're afraid of okay i'm going to have earthquake there's going to be in a some calamity coming up coming up you're one of those nervous nerdies kind of thing your you your fear your dreams mostly will be nightmares and that uh, feeling of the tiger chasing you or there's some um, unful uh, unforeseen thing that you always worry about might haunt you in your dreams so that could be your uh, i'm thinking it could be some of your attitude aptitude mm. yeah that's the part that they were saying right i mean it is your vasanas only which create the dream and put it and interestingly your intellect is not working that well that is why we don't see logical dreams sometimes because mm. the mind put together 
two and four from here and there and and juggles it and then whatever are the fears and the vasanas and the dreams it just projects it first thing that came to my mind as soon as guntax asked that question was he asked why do people react the way they do when they have a bad dream uh, right my f- the first word that came to my mind was ignorance right i i i then started thinking whether it is you know uh, right or wrong but at some level i think ignorance is the reason why people uh, you know still think uh, you know uh, that what happened in the dream is relevant to what is going to happen in uh, in the waking state that matter that, that's perhaps not going to it it actually it does they do feel that it happened to them even though we realize it but the impact was taken as if it happened to them because uh, i think because the mind is active between sleeping and waking states that's that's the common factor and we take the mind to be real um actually the mind there is one mind which projects but the other mind that is created of the team dream person is actually different but it is the same i which associates even with that mind so there's one which is the projecting mind and one is the experiencing mind of the dreamer in the dream so those are two different minds yet the i the ahankar of the person is same yeah there is an overlap for sure i mean just like we borrow consciousness uh in the waking world the dream world borrows that something from the waking world so there is an overlap uh, in the two sides no i, I didn't understand but are you saying there are two you're saying that minds are different whole body is created the whole subtle body is actually recreated but it it ex- gives the identity to itself so it's the waking mind so waking mind which has gone to sleep is projecting but when it projects it actually recreates whole subtle body and the the entire person in the dream those two are di- two different actually people or so in this so does that mean sorry go ahead no so does that mean whatever we do in the dream world also continues to carry with you whether it is vasanas or karma or whatever obviously not right or is it in fact it is the vasanas of the waking dream which projects the dream or not the other way around as in one it is only one way or by direction it is one way because in dreams you do not create uh, more uh, sanskar and vasanas thank god <laughs> yeah absolutely <laughs> i mean shamla one way to think about it is that as what i was saying is that as waking uh, jeevas we borrow existence from the one consciousness right similarly in the dream world the dream body mind etc borrows existence from the waking world but obviously they are projected as it, it is also a projection like the waking world is a projection right so they are different but there are two there are effectively two different projections but they are different yes that's that's my understanding 
Yeah, because the person who went to sleep, he ate food, but he feels hungry, hungry again in the dream. It's a whole, whole altogether new body, which is created or projected. It's just an appearance. There's no creation. There's no real creation involved, but yeah, appearance, yes. But it's a new one. There's a very nice analogy from this to the, the how the real world is uh, in Mundaka Upanishad. There are three examples. So one is how can the material also come from the cause? So there the talking of Atmopada, just like there are three very nice examples that made the connection for me. So one is the spider example. The spider does not go outside for its web. It spits the web out of itself on which it builds a home. And then when it needs to climb down, it does the web. And then when it needs to go up, it just swallows the web again. And it is. So that is how the, the world and universe is all created. The second part is like, how can many come out of one? So if it is spider, it's only spider web. Like, but if you want to loosely ask that type of question. So there the example is given is that of uh, Mother Earth. There is like only one Earth, but there are trees, there are plants, there are animals, there are humans, and all kinds of different stuff that are all born out of just this one planet. So that's the second example. And then the third example is, how can an insentient thing sometimes come from the sentient thing? I mean, we think of it the other way, but Brahman is like the only Atma, everything is Anatma. So if you were to ask that equivalent question to the real world, uh, the example given there is nails and uh, hair. So we are all living beings, but we create nails and hair, which do not have the, the nerve endings and which can be cut without any pain. Uh, so these three examples kind of nicely correspond to how the, the world and every material thing that we see is created out of one, how many are created and how out of one Atma sentient thing lot of insentient anatma things things are created and i think like now now it becomes easy to uh, go from here to the to the dream world that oh, just this one person we are creating the whole thing out of ourselves out of one we are creating the many and uh, we are creating both sentient and insentient things from this connections thank you hi yeah, and what's that um, uh, Sorry, go ahead. So I was just wondering, uh, I heard some relative story about dream to one of the gurus. Um, his guru transferred his knowledge to this person because he he in a, he got a dream in which he was asked to. So he comes and transfers all his knowledge to his disciple, right? That makes me think that dreams are somehow um, conveying a message, right? Are important. So what do you think about that? So uh, I think the explanation of that is that you can connect to Hiranyagar, which is, so, so we have our subtle body, which is known as the Taijas. And then the cosmic subtle body is known as Hiranyagar. So you have actually, you have access to if you are evolved enough or people in the Hiranyagarbha have access to your subtle body. So people do come and give messages. Um, they appear to be like dreams, but uh, that is where people get vision in dreams. And that, so, but I don't know how to differentiate between the two, but apparently, I mean, I had asked this question to Swami SPG 
and he said that if it is a vision or somebody is visiting you you will remember it clearly even after years whereas dreams we hardly remember and if at all we remember next day we will not remember the vivid details of what's happening around so he said that's a kind of how you can differentiate between the two so uh, to answer your question lakshmi yes there are dreams where if people are visiting to give you a message yes they exist as well rest of it is projection of our own desires and uh, experiences is what i understand so okay. lakshmi great great question what you asked and you know i'm just reading mahabharata and uh, and you know we have this reading group and uh, i just posted i think yesterday i posted i am at a stage where abhimanyu has just been killed and he goes into the chakra vyuha and abhimanyu has been killed and then arjuna is terribly upset and he wants to kill the key person who you know uh, got his son dead right and uh, this guy uh, he identifies that person as jayadratha and jayadratha is uh, is a guy who uh, stops uh, you know the chakra vyuha so abhimanyu can't come come back but jayadratha can't be killed by any any means so they have to get an astra from lord shiva okay and shiva is in kailasha in a different domain and all that stuff and this guy is in mahabharata and he he, he has to figure out how to get it so the night when uh, before the battle starts the next day i think it's the 14th day of the battle this guy is sleeping and he gets into a dream in the dream he and krishna goes to kailash and in the kailash they pray to lord shiva and lord shiva tells them say it's a dream within a dream okay he tells them okay um, i'll give you the uh, pashupata astra and he says go to this uh, river and then you will find something there he'll go into the river he go deep dig dig deeper into the river and when he goes into it he sees two huge serpents come up and uh, he holds both the ser- serpents takes one serpent and strings it to the other serpent okay and then that becomes the pashupata bow right and then uh, uh, then he comes to shiva and shiva blesses him and saying and gives him some mantra and all that stuff and then uh, arjuna you know uh, then the uh, pashupatastra vanishes okay and then uh, of course the dream gets over and then the morning when he wakes up he tells everybody this has been the dream and now i know for sure that i have the ability to invoke that pashupatastra in my in the battle tomorrow so i you know think about the connection this was done even if even if you assume that mahabharata was written 5500 years ago it's like inception inception multiple levels already done in this and the point is the story goes on further even he uses that to kill jayadratha in the real point does krishna uh, uh, kill jayadratha no not krishna arjuna kills jayadratha krishna is just a uh, accompanying you know Yeah, no, I was bored he did not want to go alone to to lord shiva so he took krishna along with the ministry but if if you take that example uh, rajesh uh, it means that you could dream things that may have no sort of bearing with your waking world i mean it could be just a a, a kind of a message or a whatever yeah. no i i agree with you see my point is my point is actually the reason why i asked that question in the initial thing was and i think uh, you know many of you caught the thread see there are multiple factors this is how i interpreted it the multiple factors in dream world and uh, what happens in the dream world but the point is there's no need to give a lot of credence to what happens in the dream world that's how i think about it but there are a few things that 
that you might want to give credence to, especially when 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 they are asking you to change at some level, right? Those messages, you know, you can take them and see if those messages make sense for you to implement it in this real world. Real imports. No, I think like Alpana said, uh, the vividity of the uh, exchange is perhaps the distinguishing factor between a dream and a message or a connection. Interesting. Yeah. And, and, and actually, the, the Mahabharata, you know, I, I know that I'm reading a translation of it by Ramesh Menon and all that, but the way, way that he wrote it is also very clear. He says that I have internalized the Pashupatastra mantra now, which means basically, you know, the dream has become so strong within him that he is able to take that thing in, into this world. So otherwise, you know, it just, it's just a fleeting experience, right? You know, uh, nobody cares. Uh, I uh, hearing Rajesh and Alpana once one thing came to my mind. So what is it that that external factor that enters one's psyche or the dream state to give you guidance, right? So for example, in, in uh, chemistry, we know the Kekul structure of benzene. He saw those six serpents uh, eat, catching each other's tail and then he, that helped him think of the benzene structure. So something external is coming and influencing you. This, this thought was never in your mind. It was not your vasana. It was not in your uh, anything with your hankara, anything, but something that enters into your dream state and gives you the command. In my personal uh, thing, my grandfather in the 1930s for a series of three, four years, he used to get the same dream every night of an elephant chasing him and to a river bank where there was a mound of uh, uh, like a dried lime kiln. And he would start, come there, touch him, stop there and then vanish. And he used to wake up. He didn't know what was happening. Same dream used to come to his mind every year for three years. And then he, he went and asked people around, what does this mean? What does it mean? Nobody could explain. Then somebody said, uh, describe uh, what your other things. You always be noticing the elephant and the, the target. This now, next time you go to the dream, describe what else do you see there? So the, the next day or whenever he got the dream again, he started to be more conscious of this awareness, other, other uh, landmarks in the dream. Then he noticed, okay, this particular tree is there, this particular, uh, whatever the la geographical landmarks. And then that also became ingrained in the psyche. And then when he went and described that to somebody, someone said, this looks like a place in, uh, in, uh, in, in Tamil Nadu somewhere. This could be a native place. Go check it out. So then he said, my ancestors moved from away from that place. So they went back to the other place where they had moved away 200 years ago. And there, believe it or not, he saw a landmark exactly that came in his dream, which he has never been to, nor has his uh, family's gone for 200 years. They moved out of the village. And then they saw the Limekin Mound. They dug up that Limekin Mound and they found a huge four feet statue of Ganesha buried under the ground. And uh, they dug it out. And then they asked the villagers and somebody said, okay, oh yeah, this is a dilapidated temple that's been here for centuries. And this Ganesha statue was underneath and then he built it out. And apparently that was our Kuladevata temple and that was there and we still go there. So my, my question to all this is like, what is it that came into somebody's mind? He didn't come to his father who also left that village. He didn't come to his grandfather. So why did after so many generations come to him in his mind and made him go and build that temple there? So some, some, uh, I'm just curious to understand uh, why some things like that external stimuli happens. No, it's not external stimuli. It's actually, you actually you actually prove the same point that we've been discussing, right? It's the vividity of the dream. It's just because it did not happen in four generation does not mean, or it did not happen in 
in your grandfather's waking world um, does not mean that that memory is not that the memory was there that's no, what is coming for back a, to you. for a memory to be there you have to have prior experience right he didn't have it. this is a, something that is connected to his uh, forefathers that's so, what i'm saying the point was in that entire cycle you know maybe in in the in the multiple births what what has happened in your grandfather's uh, journey maybe he was there at that point of time the temple was there okay yeah it could be either past births memory as uh, you know rajesh was saying that you know he could have been one of the you know his own forefather right and uh, the uh, the other explanation is that you know someone powerful enough wanted it to happen so that's how they can induce it and that is where i was saying the concept of hiranyagarbha where it is connected hiranyagarbha the cosmic mind is all the minds put together so that means it is common and it can be used to influence and bring about some of these things but and and i think the point he was making was if it is an ex, if it is somebody from outside doing it or if there is a message as he was saying that is the vision or something it will be very vivid you will be able to notice a lot of things otherwise we hardly remember even if you try to remember oh how it was you will remember vaguely some small part of it right of the of the of the dream if it is just your projection yeah you remember part of it and you forget it very quickly also very quickly yeah, yeah. yeah. So, get... so tell me alpana uh, this thing about uh, the hiranyagarbha uh, where all the subtle bodies are one ट्रेक्ट Right. by coincidence or whatever we call it yeah right okay. it's just that most sorry just it's just that most uh, evolved people who can do it they rather not interfere in any of these things they don't but they can <laughs> yeah sorry you're on mute Mute. I think Muku is uh, is unable to un unmute for some Muku, reason. Muku, we are not able to hear you. Maybe he's just gone off for a cup of coffee somewhere. He is unable to. Why unmute. did he raise yes. his hand? <laughs> yeah. Oh, he's unable. Okay, to so the one thing that I want to uh, want to mention now that we are talking about dreams, right? Please don't ever read the interpretation of dream with Sigmund Freud. It's one of the you know crazy books and you'll waste a lot of your time so please don't waste your time in reading it and trying to figure out and get into psychoanalysis and all that it's just not worth it which book are you talking about rajesh the interpretation of dreams it's a four volume book so thick very small print okay it will take you an eternity to read it's waste of time a lot more to read anyways so okay <laughs> things get a little bit more freaky when we also consider 
Some people have dreams about the future. At least the past we can think about with thoughts, multiple generation. Uh, so, but some people do dream about some future event that is going to happen, and it happens exactly like they dreamed. Uh, yeah, it's it's very mysterious. The only only explanation we can think of is we kind of think of it as time as linear, but maybe in other worlds or other dimensions, it is not so. Past, present, future are all kind of mixed, and they can freely talk with each other. The other explanation is that it is cyclic. So it has happened many times. Oh, okay. Not that. It's not that the new will happen. Although Krishna Swami P is kind of vehemently says this. He says dreams are always about the past. It is never about the future. He kind of he's he's kind of got a very strong okay. opinion about that. That it's always about the past. It could be any birth. It could be several births. You know whatever. But it's never about the future. That's what he thinks. So, what you think about future is probably visions, right? Like Nostradamus' vision rather than a dream. Should be called a dream then. Uh, I don't know. I don't know. I mean, it could be. It could be. Yeah. I mean, it's it's a dream, but whether it is the future or is it something to do with past events regurgitated into something which sort of appears like the future? I don't know. But this is kind of the view that it's all based on your past experiences, vasanas. Uh, you know, what, whatever else, but nothing to do with the future. For, for the future, he says there is astrology, not dreams. We should ask Martin Luther King to rewrite his speech. I have a dream. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, I mean, in that in that sense, it's a vision. Yeah, correct. Yeah. So just just kind of you know, just uh, steering away from the dream world, right? So the, the, the if you look at the Shloka Nine, Shloka Nine. Am I speaking of you? No. Okay. Shloka Nine, right? As ornaments made of gold, it talks about it. I think. Mm -hmm. All the while we talked about the the material, you know, I'm just trying to connect the, what we discussed so far to the next shloka, right? Uh, all the while we discussed about the dreams and and what from where the dreams are coming from, what's the material and all that. So in in shloka nine, it clearly says that the entire world, that our our waking world, is a manifestation of somebody. I'm using the word loosely, somebody. And the material comes from that some, from that somebody, just as the gold comes and different ornaments are made out of the particular gold. Right? Gold is a common thing. So, you know, can you make out uh, any differences between who is that Vishnu that 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 is referred to in this sloka, who in whose dream we are in, versus uh, you know the material what we have? Is that is there any difference between those materials or difference between the dreamers? Rajesh, this is Vidya. Uh, I, uh, what you brought up, I, um, I noticed both in Shloka 8 and Shloka 9. Um, in Shloka 8, he has used Jaganti Parameshwara. And uh, in Shloka 9, he has used Satchitanandatmani. So that's also many Atmas, right? Atmani and Jaganti. Both are like uh, um, in... in uh, in, in enormous terms, right? Not just one. And in both, he is used Parameshwari and Vishnuho. So to me, it looks like everything is same. The Atma is same and Jaganti is same and Parameshwara is same and Vishnu is, is all same. That's how it appears to me. And it's, it's very interesting how he has put it. Um, and I think Swami 
Aparajitananda, he also explains it very beautifully. So it, it, it really brings everything together and not to look as, you know, one single small self, but to look as the whole holistic, the, the whole, um, um, I, I really like this jagan, Jaganti word a lot. I don't know how it relates to dreams, but <laughs> I'm not going there. <laughs> That is also Jagannath, it comes and goes. Uh, yeah. yeah, to me, I, I really don't uh, get many dreams except for one. And, uh, and that's the only one I remember. But other than that... Vidya, we I have to get, get you into the inception mode then. <laughs> we have to induce some dreams for you now. Now you have to ask hey. her dream because it's a very powerful dream that she got, I guess. <laughs> If she wants to share it, that's fine. Otherwise, Muku, you had raised your hand when... Yes, yeah, so, thanks, Rajesh. For some reason, I was not able to unmute. Um, I logged back in. So, I think a couple of comments, uh, thoughts as I was as listening to it was, um, you know, this whole dream and then the question even just you asked, uh, the way I understand this, uh, when, you, when, you, when somebody dies and they take a rebirth, uh, they come up with a certain prarapta karma, right? The purpose for that default purpose for that life, right? I'm going to use the word default, be careful here. If nothing happens, they're going to take a default journey in this life. And that um, prarapta and the, the atma, right, which comes with the prarapta, envelope prarapta, is intelligent enough to guide the life through the process. So a lot of times the, the dreams come from other places, the temples, they all come from that zone. You know, the person has come rebirth to build this temple or spread that uh, this thing. And then, um, then the, generally the theory goes that you know the the, the evolution every time they, that happens, they die uh, if they don't meet a guru or if they're not in the if they're not heard any of these great, great teachings. If they don't become a mumuksha, they born again and they born again. And at some birth they become uh, become a mumuksha and then they meet the guru and then they get liberated. Right. Um, so the the. The way I, based on this theory, the way I understand it is that the the project, the, the, the screen, the film on the projector, right, we come with, right? And the projector can illuminate itself, give direction in the dream as well as in the waking world, right, through the whole process. So it is intelligent in itself to manifest that birth, birth's purpose. Uh, unless that's a default birth purpose. Now a guru can intervene and change it. That's a different, that's where the intervention comes. Till a guru intervenes, uh, the default purpose happens. The mumukshu can start seeking uh, the higher purpose of life, and then the guru will intervene at some point. That's how the generally the theory I've understood from uh, speaking of my guru and also what I've read. It reminds me of the plot of Chandrabuki movie, right? Like the same characters for the next generation or something, then the cycle works, breaks or something. Mm -hmm. But Mukku, what I what I read or what I uh, remember from uh, Tathvapoda is that, or something around karma uh, uh, theory, is that prarabdha cannot be altered. Uh, you know that is why you see lot of uh, uh, enlightened people also go through very sad endings, like you know struggle with their health or and uh, you know dying of cancer and things like that right and apparently that is because it is prarabdha and 
you cannot change the prarabdha karma you can change everything else around what you are adding to your karma bank but prarabdha is something that you have to burn it in this lifetime isn't that right uh there are many actually that's a layered truths my understanding uh, from what i've heard and read is uh, there is a default prarabdha uh, again i would be very careful here we're treading into a, like a zone uh, which is uh, uh, nuanced um the default prarabdha i mean prarabdha as we understand the default prarabdha as we understand cannot be changed right but the minute you drop the identity they were like ramana marishi died of cancer or all the people right they don't have the identity so they don't you would associate they, they are not suffering the way we you understand suffering care. right yeah. yeah exactly so the the flip happens is not so the the like once you pull the plug the fan keeps rotating right uh, for a bit but it is still not plugged so they are in that mode of unplugged and rotating for us we see they are going through the prarabdha for for them it is not so it it is a very nuanced uh, space there so that's what i meant no. prarabdha can be transformed and saying you can unplug once it's unplugged you are now no more impacted by that so you are not experiencing the prarabdha as we are experiencing right in this human body with identity that's the nuance Actually, yeah, and a very basic question came to mind when you talked about rebirths, Mugu. Anybody did any of you ever come across uh, any mention of the time period between two births, means death and birth? Is there any mention? My, yeah, I've heard. No, uh, right. Three, three shanas. Three shanas is a shana is not a second. Shana is the time between three thought, a time between each thought, right? so for somebody with uh, this is again from my guru's uh, teachings right so uh, three shana is the time you take between births uh, so somebody is got many thoughts the three shana can be within a second you just can go like that and somebody who's uh, been meditating and who has got no thoughts can span hundreds of years between the thoughts uh, but the time is normally three three thoughts uh, is when you take birth is what i've heard again there are, again these are all uh, what i've seen is esoteric uh, many teachings are available but the three shanas is what the word what guru, my guru told me, told me so he said muku you said shanas yeah, are shana. when i looked shana. at the dalai lama history mm-hmm. so, shana is in sanskrit yeah that's what i when mean. i look at the dalai the dalai lama uh, whatever lineage right it's uh, typically more than 3 years right in the physical whatever uh, this thing. but i don't know i there is no you know validation or yeah uh, these are all esoteric yeah if you look at bhagwan osho's oh. life i think he they say he uh, the last birth he had was 600 years back right i mean there's some he is a chronology i mean every master will have a little bit of chronology of their last two or three births and typically that span hundreds or hundreds of years because they already are that space of no thought i mean very close to established in that space of no thought so they rarely they, they really select where they will just enlighten the next birth so they are given that the, the control to decide where they want to be and, and in an ecosystem that will let them happen they take the last jump that's typically how i've heard many many not many masters talk about it like that so just to just to uh, uh, talk talk through on uh, on the uh, explanation book that what you are giving about the prarabdha karma and, uh, and samsara right 
uh, I'm reading this Panchadashi text, listening to it now, and there's a beautiful example in this. And actually, one of one of the uh, one of the shloka ends like that. The it uses an analogy of a uh, insect, insect fallen into a, a river with waves hitting from one one shore to the other shore. So imagine that particular insect on top of the wave going from bank A to bank B and bank A to bank B and all through coming through like this. Now it is struggling. It wants to get out of the particular waves, but it is not able to get out of the particular wave for whatever reason, because it does not have enough, uh, uh, enough of its own uh, uh, capabilities to get out of the particular thing. At that point of time, there's a passerby who goes by. Okay. And the passerby happens to notice this particular insect amongst the millions of insects or the either way, millions of passersby have gone by, but none of them have noticed this particular insect. But a particular passerby who noticed this, this particular insect takes a stick and gives it a reprieve and then removes it from this world of waves going from bank A to bank B. So apparently, you know, in our lives too, we are going through from bank A to bank B in our multiple lives or in, even in this life, life too, it does not matter. But there is going to be a point of time when somebody will come and lift you up, right? And that's the time they say that you've got to latch on to that particular lifting and then get out of the particular samsara. And the reason why they say, they say they, why, why they use this example is that uh, to talk about the karma. So the question was asked, okay, you know, what prompted that particular individual to go and save that particular thing? And why only that thing has to be saved and not some other things have to be saved? The point is, you know, in the grand scheme of things, the way that uh, the big man has designed it, all this is designed already, saying that, okay, at this time, this person will come and they'll do it for you. So, you know, you've got to latch it on and then go forward with it. Yeah, that's a good example, but I think we're getting into destiny versus free will. <laughs> this question here. I couldn't hear you. Destiny versus free will, right? I mean, it's a good example, but yeah. I think we're we touching the zone of destiny versus yeah. free will. Yeah. Yeah. Today, it looks like a lot of folks are camera shy. Uh, what Krishna was talking about, right, about the spider uh, weaving the web out and uh, swallowing the web and all that, just triggered in my mind the three Vedas that was mentioned in one of these four uh, verses that we were talking about today, right? Uh, the first Veda was, you see differences within one thing, right? Second was that you see differences between, you know, within a species, and the third one was, you see, differences uh, amongst the different species, right? And then when you don't see those differences is when you are, uh, you, you know, you have realized yourself, right? That was a very beautiful, very profound, uh, uh, you know, sequence of uh, uh, thoughts, I thought, I felt. So I mean, actually that prompted me a question, Uday. So the question, not for you, but for this group. So the question is, from wherever we are at today at our vantage point, do we see the differences or don't we? My vantage point, I see differences, of course, right? But then every once in a while, I 
i kind of try to remind myself even when i see a stray dog i see you know somewhere we are related kind right i prompt i kind of force myself to think that way as well but yeah i'm i'm nowhere near uh, even uh, overcoming the first veda is what i would uh, submit okay. i mean the follow up question is you know should we strengthen that particular thought process or should we not Yeah, it will happen when you were when you have realized right oh sorry alpana go ahead no i thought i i think all these vedas uh, fall apart when you have realized the self right uh, i don't think it is it works the other way uh, or, or i don't know somebody somebody can correct me but uh, uh, that, that's the gist of uh, this whole thing is what i thought when when uh you realize the self these vedas just disappear right dissolve and you see everything as one that's how i interpreted it as so in practical right thinking about that you asked a very powerful question rajesh so of course i mean we uh, at least i can talk to my uh, for me uh, i do see differences and then i i do remind myself okay that it's they're not different everyone is it's one um then the empathy inside grows right and we get into at least i get into that loop how do you um how do you come out of that so it's a it's a struggle at that point how do you not intertwine has this happened to anyone does it make sense at all makes a lot of sense great question makes a lot of sense yeah great yeah. follow on questions yeah yeah the example uh, vidya shared a few weeks ago uh, right uh, that that was all empathy uh, uh, as well and you're absolutely right it's difficult to get out of it uh, when you start uh, you know making it your own right making everything your own that's very true mm-hmm. I think in the lecture, uh, Swami Aparajita Nandji, he the way he mentions is at the moment we feel that we are part of this world. If we change the thinking that the world is in us, we are not in it. Um, so from that angle, if you start thinking, everything is within me. So I am the over-encompassing either consciousness or awareness or even space. in which everything is happening empathy has a great place in that so because everything so not i am not just this body mind but i am everything or i am neither of them Which, whichever way you take it it works so you are just trying to help one person within your awareness is trying to help another person which is fine but it doesn't 
it will take away the anxiety. You will do the best you can. So I, I thought that that thought was very, very powerful if you are able to switch. That I am not in the world, the world is in me. Even reminding that again and again, I feel helps. Yes. Yeah, Lakshmi, uh, I think what Alpana is saying is similar to what we we saw in one of the shlokas, Sukha Dukhya Samikritva Labha Labha Jaya Jaya, right? Um, it, to, to basically, if we keep reminding that, you know, it's it's within us to look for both on the Sukha and Dukh side, I think it will, it, it makes a difference to make it easier in whatever way it comes. Like if it's too much anxiety, you can taper it. If it's too much excitement in a good way, that also we can taper it. And if it's too much sadness, that also we can taper. I think, that, and it's all within us. That um, thought makes it much more easier. But yes, as Alpna said, it's it's a it's reminding every time, every every time we do it. It's not easy, but that's what we are striving for. Actually, that's the spiritual path uh, in my view. At the end of the day, what we're trying to do is um, we're trying to get over an old habit, an old inculcated habit that's come through, say, billions and billions of birth that we've taken in with a new habit that probably has taken, that probably we have some idea from reading the scriptures or understanding it and, and slowly believing that, that this new idea seems to be the right idea, that strengthening that particular conviction to the new idea and, and making decisions based on the new idea is what we're trying to do. And it's not an easy task to do. Sometimes, most of the time we'll fall off, fall off the wagon and sometimes we will, you know, do it. And the more that we do it, the more easier it becomes over a period of time. That's number one. Number two is, like, like they say, you know, uh, uh, I think I read this example somewhere, I do not know. When you have a Dharu uh, you know, you need four or five people, then uh, it will strengthen the conviction of drinking Dharu and, you know, enjoying and you know, over a period of time, you'll get to the Daru parties and, you know, that that'll become a, a, a strong, you know, uh, motivator. And then you will keep repeating the same practice and getting the same experience. It strengthens the conviction. Then you'll have Daru party friends and all that, right? But but suddenly when you say, okay, you know, I need to go and find, find a satsang where there are like-minded individuals who are talking about the same thing in the new behavior that I want to exhibit, then we have to nurture that rather than nurture the other aspect of, of, of your life. So the question is, you know, these are the two things, regular practice and nurturing, you know, uh, uh, friendship or relationships with people who are also in the same path to change themselves. These are the two things that help. I think that's very well captured in uh, VP Rajesh's very famous, uh, you know, Bajagovindam Shloka. Just one comment on this empathy and oneness, I think Alpana well said on that, right? The, at least the way I kind of grasp that idea is, uh, I mean, Uday used the word one. Uh, I mean, Advaita generally means not two, right? It's a very subtle, nuanced word there. It's not one. Many people un uh, interpret it as one, but uh, it, it, if you translate it, it means uh, not two, which means it's not described what that is. 
right it's so one way to understand at least is uh, is oneness right the way i at least i grasp the concept is it's like you know your finger is part of you right if one of the fingers is uh, is wanting to go west or east right uh, then i know i can change it meaning i know without needing to anybody to tell me to remember i know hey this finger is part of me and i can influence it right and i'm power and powerful when i do that right if i if i want to move my hand i can move my hand if i want to rest my hand i can move my rest my hand and i am never powerless about it so if you can really truly understand advaita as a concept it's a oneness the world is all part, like the way alpana said it's part of you right once you start settling to that idea even empathy will have powerfulness meaning uh, you say how can i help her and you know you can help him or her uh, right because it's not you even though you are separated at one level cognition but you believe that undercurrent it's a oneness uh, so the empathy has always to be from powerfulness or any reaction needs to be from powerfulness uh, that's really the subtlety when we are become anxious uh, then it's almost like believing my finger won't listen to me and then i start getting anxiety about it so this is really a very subtle undercurrent of advaita Uh, it's just the principle of oneness and you be cognizing and operating from it uh, that's the identity right the identity moves to a oneness identity from just being an individual smaller identity but the principle is always like alpana exactly said it always has to be a powerful manifestation that you can change because it's part of you it's like your finger your hand your feet uh, you can if anything else you can influence it it's part of you that's the central idea there that's how i understand it thank you thank you so i don't know if i understood correctly but in general to summarize i think what i understand is um taking the emotion part out thinking um so if i'm helping that means in in a way i'm helping myself and that becomes very powerful right yes yes yeah or the other way of looking at it you are not helping anybody there's nobody to help anybody okay yeah 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 there there's no help here it's it's just it's 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 the same world and it's another whatever part that you're helping like the finger in the <laughs> in the hand or whatever right so there's no question of help there you're just yeah. uh yeah whatever you call it but yeah got it yeah. Yeah. so so actually you know when we get get to the future chapters of gita you know we will we will get to uh, get to a discussion about uh, you know the uh, the uh, ishwara concept and you know the concept of hiranyakarma and all that i think that then will become very very powerful for us to understand but maybe we should just park it otherwise that will that will take off into uh, take off into a different tangent at this point of time we are already at 7:30 with that you know the most apt uh, closing shloka is lakshmi you know sarve bhavantu sukhinaha is exactly the same thing that we we want to practice so let's why don't we just chant that and close this session today for next week we will do chapter 4 there just uh, four four uh, sorry five verses uh, uh, 10 to 14 okay so with that let's uh, conclude with our concluding prayer om sarve bhavantu sukhinah 
सर्वे सर्वे भद्राणि पश्यन्तु Thank you, everyone. Enjoy your weekend. Thank you. 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 Thank you.